Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, the Talent Surgery, the Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today, we are joined by Diana Ribeiro, Deputy Head of Rates and Credit Quantitative Research at Lloyds Banking Group. Diana brings her experience of 15 years within the financial services industry a PhD in financial mathematics and a plethora of experiences as a woman within the industry. Today, she'll be sharing her journey and her opinions on how we can make our industry more inclusive. So Deanna, I'm so pleased that you're here today. Welcome. Thank you so much, Nadia, for your uh, introduction. And I'm very pleased uh, to be here and to be talking about uh, my career and, and all the, the different uh, aspects of DNI. Great. So why don't you start by telling us a bit more about your role at Lloyd's? So uh, I am the, the deputy head, as you said, of uh, rates and credit quantitative research. So this is a very technical and it's a front office role which uh, demands very technical skills. So the, how I started my career, um, I uh, did a degree in, um, back in Portugal, I'm from Portugal in uh, Applied Maths, uh, and then I got a scholarship to study University of Warwick, uh, where I did uh, a Master in Financial Mathematics, and then I did a PhD. I also then uh, was undecided between following the academic career or going uh, to work in the city. So, uh, I took some time to think about it, and I, I actually did also a postdoc uh, in the University of Texas Austin in um, also uh, financial maths in the area of commodities. Um, and then I, I had the time to think about it, and I actually decided that I would like to work uh, in the industry. And the reason being because I thought, and I still think, by being in industry in this area in particular, you make a more real contribution. Uh, to the world, to the society, your research, but particularly in financial maths, is different from medicine or biology, where the universities contribute a lot uh, and work with hospitals directly, for example, Imperial College uh, and others. Uh, so in, in banking, I think you are really on the front of the, the technology and the research if you work in a bank. So then I got my first I came to London to interview. I got my first job at uh, Lehman Brothers in, in 2005 in fixed income, also quantitative research. So same type of team, but in a different place. And uh, then we were hit by 
the financial crisis in 2008, where I moved to, to Lloyd's. Uh, within the rates once, I was focused, I began focused in the beginning more on the inflation piece of it. Um, and I kind of expanded uh, to, to the rates as well. Uh, and now uh, credit, the team focus on rates and credit. So initially, I, I, I was asked to look after a small team uh, focusing on linear rates. Uh, later, the options in the linear rates uh, team was merged. And um, so I'm the head and jointly with the head of the team. We manage a team about, of about 15, 16 people uh, in both rates and credit. And more, my role mainly now is management. Hmm. Well, it's amazing to hear your journey, you know, like from, from joining the industry and why you joined the industry. Like, I think that's really, really interesting, especially for people to listen to, you know, what's your mission? You know, what do you want to be achieving? Um, so I think that's really, really inspiring. And I can imagine over all these years and all the experience you've gained, you've got lots to share with us on the inclusion side of things. So I wanted to ask you a question about how being a minority in tech um, so male, male, male dominated roles can affect women's confidence. Um, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on what you think can be done by line managers, HR, and the wider culture within our industry to offer additional support. Yeah, so when, to give you an example, when, when I started the Lehman, I was the only female plant globally. So that's a massive, it was a massive bank. And, and, and so I think at this point, when you become more experienced, I don't think you, you care so much if there's only if the, about the distribution of male and female, although you still want obviously a fair representation, but it doesn't really affect your confidence. But when you are the only one or one of the very few ones, you feel you are representing a gender and you also question why are there others? So is it because, natural question is, is it because women are seen as being less capable? For me, it was very, very puzzling because during my degrees, there was about a 50-50% distribution uh, across genders and equally capable women and men in terms of grades and intelligence, you know, like, and it's well known that both are equally capable on, on quantitative sciences. Uh, both genders. So, but still, when you go to an environment where you are the only one, you feel the pressure and you also hear comments about sometimes, you know, not directly, but how men are more capable in maths or this, there's a kind of unconscious bias perhaps, or when you feel like, you know, there's a preference to talk with male colleagues in terms of when you need to give support to the traders and things like that. Maybe it's also a perception when you are very young and inexperienced, but I think that kind of affects your confidence or the way, you know, it takes time for you to gain that confidence and to, you kind of work extra hard to, to become um, more confident. So I think we women in roles where they are minorities, they need that extra support to overcome this kind of psychological or obstacles or unconscious bias or whatever that is. And also to, to because there's also a loneliness because you cannot talk about uh, with another woman about things that men talk about football, you can talk about, yeah. 
things like that, for example. Um, so there's a lot of aspects that uh, I think they are, oh, they, they are not looked at. And while HR sometimes pressure uh, for hiring women, I, I think the, it stops there. You, you know, uh, I think things are normally changing, but I think industries need to, to provide more support line managers. I think line managers are becoming more aware of these issues, and depending on line managers, some line managers are very supportive. Uh, my current line manager is very supportive, but it, it, it doesn't need to be like this. By default, you should have the support, the opportunity, and the confidence. And I think it affects especially people without experience, because confidence is half, half of to the job done, and, and I, I don't think women should feel they need to perform better than the men just to be in the same place. Yeah, so. I totally agree. I to and I think that's really useful to hear your, what you've seen and to hear your experiences. Because for me, if we're going to change and improve the industry, number one, we have to identify where the issues are and where the problems are. Um, and then, then we can do something about it. And I think you've touched upon a lot of solutions there, you know, uh, talking about being able to talk to somebody else. So it's amazing to see so many mentoring uh, systems being brought up across the fintech industry to, to help that communication um, when, when people do feel like a minority or when people need support. Um, so I wanted to ask you a bit more about that. So across not just the fintech industry, but I think all industries when they're trying to hire and when they're growing and building teams, they are talking about um, inclusion. Um, but this can often be seen as a box ticking exercise rather than authentic inclusion. I wanted to hear your thoughts on authentic inclusion as opposed to these box ticking exercises. Yeah, I think it goes with along those lines. So as I said now, I, I, don't, I don't feel, you know, in the current job I work, I, I do feel that uh, the women are equally respected, etc. But there's still, I mean, across the industry, there's still a very uh, a minority of women. And you are like, if you get, if, even this tick, tick boxing exercise doesn't exist everywhere. So sometimes not even that. So not even the pressure yeah. to hire a good people. So that's even start there, you know, like some industries are totally oblivious. Uh, they don't even care how many women they are, you know, it, it's even not talked about. So HR, you know, it depends very much, I think, on very senior uh, managers. So once, once that ticking uh, equally opportunities, ticking the box, exercise is there, as I mentioned before, uh, the, the continuous support needs to be there. And I think it's not just directly a manager of HR. I think it's to be more the culture uh, of the company as well. You know, having female senior leaders, uh, role models, an environment where you see, for example, the board having a percent, 50-50. Why 30%? We are 50-50% of the population. Then 30% not even achieved. But why is 30%? Seriously, we are 50%. So why should it, why should the target, that's quite discriminating already, the target being 30%. Um, yeah. I, I think it comes from the, the top down, really. Um, and and uh, obviously, locally, line managers and so on matter a lot. But I think it's all 
for industries, not just banking, fintech, etc. Everywhere. Uh, it needs to be just um, the culture and the role models. And to me, it should be almost not, I wouldn't say enforced, but like having the representation on the boards, having a certain percentage of females uh, in senior roles. This should be like, it should be. I mean, it shouldn't be an objective that year after year is never achieved. Um, and then there's always an excuse because I it was a tough year, we couldn't recruit, or one woman left, and so we have 10% less females because one left. <laughs> yeah. Things, things like, like this. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it should be uh, authentic, but I think even governments, it needs to be wider society. Governments, for example, we, we, uh, about maternity leave, for example, you know, why, why don't companies have nurseries on site, for example, uh, for at least for the support initially women on that, on that journey? There's very little understanding of what women go through during, um, for example, pregnancy and, and maternity leave. But even before that, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that need to be done uh, to make women feel included and, and feel that they have opportunities like anyone else. Because if they see all the senior leaders are men, they, they think, well, I won't ever get there. Why, why should I be? Also, another thing that I found it interesting the other day, I thought there was a comment like, when a woman say, oh, this woman is incompetent, a senior woman is, gets, they get much more judged. That's another thing I noticed. Mm. So men can be senior and incompetent. If a woman is senior and incompetent, like she's pointed out straight away, that the, the man is not judged in the same way and because she's, again, she's representing the old gender, she's the only one. Uh, and that's quite remarkable because, uh, I mean, I think even women judge other women in that way. It's not just men, it's just in a society and unconscious bias as well. When you see a senior woman, you straight away, you see how, what makes her special, you know, why, why what is she in this position? And is it not someone else kind of thing? So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting everything that you're saying, and I think um, what I what I love about what you're saying is you're really highlighting just the day to day reality. Um, I think that point you made about women returning after maternity. You know, if if women are looking at senior management and they're only seeing men, it's very very difficult to identify with that and feel that they that they can they can come back and they can be a part of that. I know you also had some thoughts about when hiring um, and, and, and actually the recruitment community. And you know, you've said that you dislike the lack of fair gender representation. I'd love to hear more, more of that. Obviously me and recruitment, let's, let's call it out. We need to improve every industry. Yeah, so, so I think it goes, it goes both ways. I think um, it's the fault between quotes uh, is probably the, the recruiting industry themselves uh, because to be fair, when I get CVs, it's like you get no women or one, one woman among like 20 CVs. And that one woman needs to be very good because you have 20 men to, you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, what are the chances? You only have one. So that's one thing. But to me, I mean, there's a lot of factors because, I mean, managers are usually also pressured. They, they need to hire because they need someone to, to do a job. And if there isn't this sort of enforcement from an HR point of view, 
they will go for the best candidate, the first one they find, who is very good. And they don't, they won't think about if it's a man or a woman, because it's just they need to, to, to fill the position. If they don't fill the position, either the job doesn't get them, or they lose the headcount. So there's only all these bureaucracies and all these things that we need to be fair as well on the managers to think about that's a difficult thing. So I think in, in that, again, we go back to the culture of the company and HR saying, I don't care, you, you'll give you another month or two and you need to get you know, a fair representation or come closer to a fair representation of, um, uh, and obviously you can't, you can't also do, uh, I would say positive discrimination because you need to hire the, the best person for the job, but to hire the best person for the job. And if you want to hire diversity, maybe you give longer because there are less best candidates. But touching the point, like when, as I said, like in terms of capabilities and also adding the degrees and, and uh, the, the skills required, I don't believe there's a 50-50% representation. So I don't understand what happens between universities, headhunters, and then recruiting because something is lost. And to be, to be fair, I still am puzzled about this. Uh, so I think the other thing we need to do as hiring managers is to pressure eventing companies and say, only come back when you show me 10 female CVs and 10 male, you know, with about the same profile. I mean, and if you do that, I can guarantee you it will happen because you know, they, they will work very hard, or at least will go very close to that. If you don't say anything, uh, they just give you whatever first CVs, you know, that seems suitable. Mm. So I, I think you need to make pressure also on a editing company, but that pressure can also be done, only be done also, as I said, if you have your your culture also kind of supporting that type of uh, attitude and you have some pressure from HR and so on. So I think the, all those things are, are not straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really good advice because, um, you know, look, I, I, I am in the recruitment industry and I'm working really hard to drive the change happen. But you're absolutely right. Um, there are there are challenges when a company is requesting look just find me this type of person and do it by tomorrow otherwise we're going to go to another agency yeah absolutely. this makes I mean that's the reality that we're talking about isn't yeah, it yeah. Well, because there's no point us having podcasts and talking about this if we're not going to say this is the reality these are the challenges that we face and these are the, the hurdles that prevent us from making the change so you know this is why I've launched my 17% list because I feel like it takes the time out of the equation, which will allow people to see more female talent within the marketplace. Um, but still, it's a challenge. So I'm, I'm really, really enjoying everything that you're saying. Um, what would you propose to say is, is, is a solution to um, not just the fair, the fair gender representation, but the authentic inclusion, the whole conversation? There's so many issues here that we must tackle. And I really would love for you to end the podcast just on giving us some advice about the wider market and what we should all be doing more for inclusion? Well, we should have, I mean, I think we should involve with the government. I mean, uh, it, it sounds a bit harsh, but I think it should be law as well. Yeah. Uh, not, not, you know, choose, uh, justify why you are having a female, a male CEO as opposed to a female. I mean, it needs to go, if there isn't this type of pressure, 
from the law, from society, from governments, it won't happen. So another thing is transparency in pay, and I think the pay gap, which we are not discussing here that much, but it's another reality, which again, I think it should be driven by, the only way you can get rid of it is to, to have it uh, transparent and, and law enforced. There's always excuses also to pay less someone as opposed to another. It's the same, the same, the same talk, and uh, obviously with lack of transparency. Uh, so that that starts there, and then it needs to be from the the top, the top down, in my opinion. But if it's not, I think even less senior leaders, the less senior leaders should also get together and 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 make it happen. But from my experience, if you don't have the support from senior leadership or from the CEO, it's, it's just an exercise. It's, it's not going to happen. So I, I think it, it needs to come from the culture, from the, the leaders and so on. On the editing companies, I think, I mean, people like you obviously are doing a brilliant job and raising awareness, but you probably are one of, of a very, you know, a small percentage, a very small, unique case. Uh, so the only way they will change is if we say, only come back, if you have 50-50% on CVs, otherwise I'm going to another company. <laughs> so, you know, it needs to be like that. And, um, and then I think once that happens, then, then it, it will happen. I mean, I mean, all 20 years, some people saying, oh, we just need to recruit on the junior level, more more females. I don't think that solves the issue because again, if you don't have authentic inclusion, if women drop the industry a lot, they can get maybe as promoted as fast, you know, maternity um, leave, etc. There's a lot of things that are not being supported. Um, so it needs to be the recruitment 50-50 uh, needs to go through through all the layers and all levels, not just. Uh, I don't think just juniors it's that's a very easy answer saying yeah. okay university and i recruit 50 50 and we've done that sorry that's not going to do it you need to do more um and every every role every more senior role you need to consider um both both of course i mean i'm not saying that in every case you can you manage but it needs to start somewhere yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that is such good advice because, you know, when people say, oh, you know, we'll just, we'll just deal with it at the graduate level. So basically you're not going to even attempt to, to make a positive change to your middle management or your senior management or your leadership teams for 10, 15 years. Excellent. You know, that's not going to, and, and also how will we, how will we invest in those graduates? How will we progress them up the food chain within a business if they don't see that ahead of them? You know, people need yeah, to absolutely. So absolutely. Um, I think what, you're, what I've loved about today's podcast is all your advice is just real, real advice, real action on what we need to do. And I'm so pleased that you've called out, you know, my industry, the recruitment industry, because I believe we need to be really, really proactive at this and we need to kind of put to one side our immediate wins to make to make bigger wins for the entire community and the entire industry um so i love what you said um i've written down loads of notes um because i will be uh, talking about everything that you said so thank you so much for joining me on the women of fintech podcast series it was great to hear your insight
Thank you, thank, thank you, Nadia. Uh, it was, I had a great time as well, and it, it's great that I, I am given this opportunity to speak to you, and I, uh, I really wish you good luck, and I think you are doing a, a great thing and a great job, and hopefully, um, you know, it will, it will make a difference, and I'm sure it will. And it's only, you know, you need to start somewhere. So, yeah, looking forward uh, to see the results of all your efforts, and I wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you.